Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Well, this morning, after two years of studying Luke, we're starting all over again. Just kidding. Just kidding. We have, I'll say, enjoyed being able to look at the life of Jesus. I mean, what a better thing to do. But, I mean, there is no better thing to do, but today we are going to revisit Luke chapter 3, and here's why. Because we at Benton Heights follow the Christian year on Sundays more than the calendar year, and here's the difference. The calendar year, as we all know, runs January 1 through December 31. The Christian year, however, begins with the first Sunday of Advent, which is generally around the Thanksgiving holiday. And what the Christian year seeks to emphasize are significant, significant events in the life of Jesus and in the life of the early church. Today is one of those. So this morning, we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus. And let me give you the main characters. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and John the Baptist. Now, John is a guy, when we first meet him in Luke's gospel, here's what we know. His dad, Zechariah, was a devout follower and lover of God who was waiting for the Messiah, the Savior, to come. His mother, Elizabeth, was also a devout woman who loved God. She, too, is waiting for the Messiah, the Savior. Here's what we know about them as a couple. They were, they were elderly and unable to conceive. But an angel arrives and says, God has chosen you to give birth to a son. And this son will be the forerunner, the one preparing the people for the coming Messiah, Savior, Jesus. And God opens her womb, and she, Elizabeth, is able to conceive. And within just a few months, the angel then tells Mary that she too will give birth to a son. And this will be no ordinary son. She will give birth to Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God is coming into human history through Jesus Christ, through the womb of the Virgin Mary. Almost immediately, upon getting that news, Mary leaves her hometown of Nazareth and travels to the Judean hill country, a good distance, we assume. We don't know exactly where, but that's, that's where Zechariah and Elizabeth live, and so Mary travels there. And as these two pregnant women greet each other, John is filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, and he leaps and he worships Jesus. These two grow up. Little is known about their early life. We would read this in Luke chapter 2, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And now they've grown to about the age of 30. And what takes place is that John begins his ministry first, his public ministry. He is the bridge. He's the, the connecting point between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And here's 
what has been taking place. We know in the Old Testament that there were prophecies from hundreds of years. But as Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, ends, there's a period of about 400 years of silence. One of the last things that we are told in the Old Testament is that there would be one who would come to prepare the way for the Savior. And John walks out of the wilderness preaching repentance, preparing for the coming of Jesus, and the crowds are coming to hear John. And here's what they say and how they respond and how he responds. This is from Luke chapter 3. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Everybody is around John. This guy has crowds. I mean, he's number one on iTunes. Everyone's Facebook page wants to reach out to John. He's a big deal. Everyone is hoping that he's the guy, that he's going to fix all the problem. He's going to be the Savior, and now our lives will be better. Crowds come. And John, he, well, he eats weird and he dresses weird. But he's intense, he's committed, he's devoted, and he's yelling, repent, repent. And he's really good at it. And he's got all these people wondering, is he the one? Is he the one we've been waiting for? Since Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that a man, a male child, would be coming to crush Satan and redeem sinners. Is this the one? They all come to John. John, are you the guy? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Should we worship you? Should we serve you? Should we devote ourselves to you? And here's what he says. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. He's coming and he's greater than me. He's so much greater than me that I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Now, this might have been misunderstood by those who were hearing it first in their day. Because you see, the students would serve their teacher, but there's one thing that they would not do for their teacher. And that's untie their sandals as if to wash their feet, because that job was reserved for the lowest of slaves. And John says, No, 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 you don't understand. I'm not worthy of being able to do that. It's not that I don't want to. It's just that the distance between me and him is that great. That's humility from John. A lesser person tempted with such uh, fame and power and pleasure and prestige, but John says, no, no, no. It's about Jesus. He's coming. Don't get so worked up on me. I'm just the opening act. So John transitions all this attention off of himself on to Jesus. So number one, 
he says Jesus is greater than he is. And number two, that what Jesus provides in the baptism that he will bring is greater than what John can provide. He says about Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John is saying, look, I can work on the outside, but he works on the inside. John says, I can call you to repentance. I can convict you of sin. I can baptize you externally. But he's coming with the Holy Spirit to baptize you, work on you internally. I'm preparing you for him, but it's not about me. He's greater. He's the one who can, and he's the only one, who can change you from the inside out, to take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh, to take that rebellion and give you submission. He's the only one who can do that. You must wait on Jesus. John goes on in this description. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then Luke tells us, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, now let me pause there. So Herod was married. But there was another woman, a relative of his, as it turns out to be his sister-in-law, and Herod decides, I want to have an illicit adulterous affair with her and so they leave their spouses they destroy their families so that they could run off together John is preaching repentance and he won't stop just because Herod may be in the room and he goes after Herod too he says Herod you've destroyed two homes you need to repent and start over you need to practice repentance and holiness. And Herod didn't like that. So he did something about it. Herod added to all the evil he had done that he then locked John up in prison, ultimately had him beheaded. Here's what John is doing. He's preaching repentance. You're a sinner. Repent. You're a sinner. Repent. You're a sinner. Repent. And many did repent and many didn't. And in the midst of this, John uses the analogy of wheat and chaff and he's doing this by taking it from the agrarian society in which they lived. And at harvest time, the grain would be uh, brought near or into the barn and something called a winnowing fork would be used to grab that and throw it up in the air letting the good grain, the actual wheat kernels, fall to the ground, the chaff, the stuff that you don't want, be blown away. And what he's saying is this. Some people are wheat. Some people are chaff. Some people belong to Jesus and abide in Him, and some are just blown away by temptations and religion and false doctrine and deception. So what about you? See, sometimes the misconception in our culture is that everybody who's in the church is wheat, and everybody outside the church is chaff. 
There's a lot of chaff inside the church as well. That's because there are a lot of folks inside churches who really have not fully opened their life to Jesus. They're not deeply committed to Him at their core. It's someone or something other than Jesus. They may use His name and use His people, but only as a means to their end. They want to use Him for a better family or for public ministry or a good reputation, but they don't love and worship and enjoy Him solely, exclusively as God, as the only one to be treasured above all. That's chaff. So temptations come, they get blown away. Hardship comes, suffering comes, false teaching comes, blown away. But here's the good news. There's not one person that would confess their sins to Jesus and ask Him for salvation that He would reject them. Do you know that our God is a good God and that He's seeking worshipers and He's at work all the time? And one of the primary reasons we exist and the church exists is to offer salvation. Now, we don't save anyone, but we introduce folks to the Savior. His name is Jesus. Do you know that God is still saving people? And you know what? God's here to love you, to save you, to forgive you, to embrace you. He's actually been doing it all day. He's already at work in your life, and the reason you're here is to meet Him so that you can continue, or maybe for the first time, be wheat and not chaff. Well, Luke continues. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Okay, this has got to be one of the most, if not the most, amazing moments in John's life. I mean, he's in the river. There's a long line of people. His radiants are high. Herod's out to arrest him. He's the talk of the town. There's a long line of sinners coming to get baptized, showing that they are in need of being cleansed for their sins. And who shows up in this line? Jesus. I, I, can, I can just see John like, you know, okay, next person's coming. Yes, you're a sinner. You need to be baptized. Next, yes, you're a sinner. You need to be baptized. Next. You're not supposed to be in this line. <laughs> Jesus, you're in the wrong lines. <laughs> what it was showing us is that Jesus was standing in those waters on our side. The one who knew no sin and yet took on all of our sin. Showing us that this too is what we need to do. Jesus was baptized, and the whole Trinity was there. Don't miss this. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Here's why it's important to notice the Trinity. There's an ancient heresy called modalism that some churches still teach. You see, we believe in one God. 
in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all God, though. It's, it's God. Ruling and reigning as one. In modalism, however, it's almost like you got three different gods. Well, God the Father was only active in the Old Testament. And then during Jesus' life, okay, now we got God the Son, and then He disappears, and now we have God the Holy Spirit. But in this passage, we see all three simultaneously. The Father speaks from heaven, the Son is baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Him like a dove. The whole Trinity is there, present simultaneously. It's one of the strongest uh, imprints for the Trinity in all of the Bible. Now let me say this. This was not the first time that Jesus received the Holy Spirit. That's another ancient heresy. It was called adoptionism. Uh, Adoptionism goes like this. Well, Jesus was a pretty good guy those first 30 years. So God decides, okay, when he's baptized, I'm going to adopt him as my son. Remember, God is all three existing at the same time. Besides, the Holy Spirit has already been at work around Jesus' life. He was the one who came to Mary to become pregnant He's the one that came to Zechariah and Elizabeth that they too would have a a child who was going to be that forerunner that the Old Testament promised. And it was the Holy Spirit who filled John and his mother's womb to actually leap and worship Jesus when they came together womb to womb. The Holy Spirit has already been at work. Jesus doesn't receive the Holy Spirit for the first time here, but the Holy Spirit is further revealed now. Up until this point, Jesus was able to resist sin and grow in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men by the power of the Holy Spirit and hear the Holy Spirit publicly is made known. And you hear it. This is God. This is the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah. As if there could be any question. I mean, God the Father speaks from heaven. That settles it, right? There's no higher authority that, than heaven. That's Him, the voice says, right there. That's pretty clear. I mean, who else are you going to go to? This, what a court of appeals is going to be higher than a voice from God the Father. And it reveals just how Jesus lived his life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is eternally the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, God existing. But he comes into human history. Emmanuel, God with us. But he's also fully human. And so the question is, when he is tempted, how does he say no to temptation? When he needs to grow, how does he grow and mature? How, how does that happen? As Lori read what is commonly referred to as the Philippian hymn, that passage from Philippians chapter 2, there we find Jesus coming into human history as a man. He emptied himself, not of divinity, but of the right to be God. 
of the divine attributes. Let's put it that way. Because you see, God is everywhere, but Jesus chose to be at a particular place at a particular time. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, forever. But Jesus was willing to be so humble that he had to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He doesn't cease to be God. He just set aside that God part for the most part. It doesn't mean that he didn't have access to it. For instance, when he forgives sins, only God can forgive sins. That's Jesus as God doing that. But what it does mean is that the majority of Jesus' life on earth was lived fully human. So how did he grow? How did he worship? How did he say no to temptations and yes to God? The answer, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did that with humility to serve us and identify with us. That's what his baptism shows. He is identifying with us. And that would set us up for the sequel of Acts because you see Luke is the author of both the gospel and the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus at his baptism. The promise is made that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know when that happens. Jesus lives without sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. He dies for sinners and is raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. He ascends into heaven and he and the Father send the Holy Spirit and it takes place on the day of Pentecost and it's poured out to the church. And just as the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus' people. If you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ, you already have the Holy Spirit poured into you. So you see what it means to live a spirit-filled life is to be like Jesus. We love the Holy Spirit. We want to worship Him as God. And we're deeply grieved when He is set up as the God of chaos rather than the God of order or somebody else comes along, uh, some spiritual guru, and says, well, you've got to be like me. No, you've got to be like Him. The Holy Spirit is not going to be grieved or resisted but so many times with false teaching and and bad examples tragically sometimes he is grieved quenched resisted you see I'll, I'll be honest with you my hope for our church is in the power of the holy spirit you know how we're going to be able to serve God and bear fruit and leave a legacy and see people's lives changed and doors open that we don't yet even know about? By the Holy Spirit. He saves people. He gives people hope, forgiveness. He gives people to the church. He calls people. He empowers people. He chooses the leaders of the church. Our hope is just to be led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, on mission with and for Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of ministry. And it is no secret. The power is in the gospel. And it is imparted to us 
through the Spirit. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.